to their program. You're free to go, kids. I also want to take the time while they're exiting just to thank our praise team and media people. We, we did what we call times of refreshing recently. And uh, that was a great time. We, you would know it as a revival. And so they worked overtime for that. And then Holy Week, lots of uh, responsibilities that they had. So thanks, praise team, media shout team. We do appreciate your effort, your service, your ministry. I also want to thank our Education Commission for Elder Jeff Reynolds and our Director of Children's Ministries, Casey Rott, for their work yesterday with our Easter egg hunt. That was a great event as well. So thanks to all of you who participated in that. Okay, I want to read the scripture this morning and then share a word with you from that. Genesis 15 and verse 5. It says, he, being God, took him, Abraham, outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Then in Genesis 22, let me read 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them Went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham. Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. 
he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And then Matthew 27, 45 to 54. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection... They went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Abraham rose before the first light and peered outside his tent. It was the darkest night he had ever seen. Then he awoke his young son, Isaac, so as to not wake his wife, Sarah. That was the last thing he would have wanted. He'd figure out how to tell her what he was about to do later. I mean, how do you tell your wife that you're going to kill their son? He stood at the edge of the tent once again and looked up into the night sky. He remembered doing the same thing a long time ago. And God spoke to him at that moment and said, Abraham, do you see All the stars in the sky, I will make your descendants more numerous. But tonight there were no stars in the sky. It's as if they had all fallen from heaven. Because earlier that evening, God had said something to Abraham that rocked his world, that seemed incomprehensible to him. Take your son, your unique, your one and only son, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Now, we know from the text, 22.1, this was only a test. But Abraham didn't know that. I used to think that Job was the most tested man of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, at least. But then I think Abraham is now. Because Job's tests were at Satan's ordering and doing and from nature. But Abraham's test here was from God himself and his own hand. Isaac had been born as the fulfillment of God's promise, and now God seemingly was annulling that promise. Why? Abraham must have asked that question a hundred times that sleepless night. He knew he was too old to have any more children to be the heir. Plus, he loved Isaac so much. Now, the notion that Someone, God would ask someone to offer their son as a sacrifice. It just seems so bizarre that we can't wrap our brain around it. But it was very commonplace then. 
in the land in which Abraham was dwelling, the land of Canaan, the Canaanite people offered their children as human sacrifices all the time. It was part of their religious ritual. They did that to appease their gods and also to make sure that they were guaranteed a good harvest and that they would prosper materially. So Abraham would have understood the command. He understood the practice, but he couldn't conceive of his God asking that of him. So the answer to Abraham would be God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And that we must respond in faith even when we don't understand. So the question is, does Abraham have enough faith to do this? Does he love God more than his son? And this morning I ask you, what is your Isaac? What's the most important thing to you? Now, I want you to put yourself in Abraham's place this morning. I want you to put yourself in his shoes, as it were, and walk along those steps that he trod from the Negev, where he was staying, to Mount Moriah. About 50-mile journey, perhaps three days. And then as he walked, God showed him the place. Go there. He told his servants to stay while he and the boy went up to worship and that they would return. The servants knew nothing about what was happening. They probably thought, this makes perfect sense. Our master Abraham serves an invisible God who likes to be worshipped and appears on mountaintops. They thought he would make a sacrifice and then return with Isaac. And Isaac, I'm sure, was excited to go on this journey with his father as any boy would be. And as they climbed, Isaac asked a perfectly good question. Father, where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham's answer, I'm sure, comforted his son, but little did he know how prophetic it would be. My son, God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And how the King James words it is interesting. It says God will provide himself. In our lives, there are moments of confusion where God seems absent and life seems to go haywire and off the rails and our hopes are distant and the stars fall from the sky and it's very dark. There is no light. And Abraham went through in his life, I think, three tests by called by three questions that we often go through. The first question is, where? Where will I live? And Abraham was told to leave his family and his relatives and his country and his culture and everything that he was used to and go to a land that God would show him. That would be the land of Canaan, modern day Israel. The second question to Abraham was when? Lord, you promised me an heir. When will he come? Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And the third was why? Why must this child die? And so those questions are for us today, too. Our question also is where? Lord, where do you want me to go? And work do you want me to do and live and study? And we sometimes have to circle back to that question because God may be saying, hey, I want you to move on to this place. Then we ask when? Lord, when is what you promised me going to happen? But the most bitter question of all is why? Why, Lord? Why does it have to be this way? Why did my life take that turn? Why did that happen? And sometimes God is silent. And we don't know why. 
For Abraham, the why question was the absurd demand. Offer your son as a sacrifice on an altar. That posed the ultimate test to Abraham's faith because it contradicted everything he knew and believed. Everything that God had promised to him. His own common sense and understanding of life and his understanding of God himself who had given Isaac. And now the same God is asking for the life of his son. It made no sense. Just like it makes no sense to us when we get that call in the middle of the night with bad news. Or the doctor says that our loved one has six months to live. Those voices test our faith and shake our faith to the core. But Abraham's answer to Isaac is so correct. God will provide. When there seems to be no hope, you can answer, God will provide. Now, that may seem too pat and simplistic and glib, but it's not. It demonstrates the deepest faith. Abraham had gotten no answer from God about his why question yet. He had to keep walking forward up the mountain. He had to trust God. And you do as well. If you were walking up that mountain, I wonder what you would be thinking about this. Would you be thinking, I really must have sinned big time and blown it. That God would ask this of me and maybe he's punishing me. But Abraham didn't say that and he didn't think that. He knew God's heart and he trusted that God knew what he was doing. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews gives us insight into exactly what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews 11. 17 to 19 says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So Abraham realized, God is going to provide for me. How? By bringing my son back to life. They came to the top of the mountain. Abraham built the altar. He laid the wood on it. And then he bound his son and laid him on the wood he had been carrying. And what I noticed here was so amazing to me that Isaac offers no resistance. He's called son throughout this text. And in the text, when God responds, he calls him boy. And that particular Hebrew word has a time frame that it fits under from age 12 to age 30. Isaac was somewhere between that age span. So I'm amazed at his serenity. He finally realized at that moment, I'm the sacrifice. He could have outrun his father at age 12. He could have overpowered him, certainly at age 22, but he doesn't move. He's the submissive sacrifice. Abraham raised the knife. Perhaps its blade glistened in the noonday sun. And then came the booming voice of God. Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God and that you love me more than even your own son. And he sees it. A ram caught in the thicket. And he sacrifices it in place of his son. Abraham, now I know that you fear God. 
that you reverence God, that you are in awe of God, that you love him more than even your precious son. God wasn't playing mind games with Isaac, and he isn't playing them with us either. But he's also not messing around. God is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He wants first place in our life. Now, I'm sure that you Bible theologians out there are astute enough to have picked up the incredible foreshadowing in this story of a father and his one and only unique son. Tradition says that this place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac or offered to Mount Moriah was the place where Jerusalem was later built, the place where the Jewish temple was built, perhaps that even exact spot, and perhaps near the place where Jesus was actually crucified on the cross. Like Abraham and Isaac, Jesus put his life into the hands of his father in the garden when he cried out, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done. Your will be done. Like Isaac, who carried the wood of the sacrifice, Jesus carried his wooden cross through the streets of Jerusalem till Golgotha, the place of the skulls. And like Isaac, he too was laid on that wood, that wooden cross. But it's there that the stories diverge. There is no last-minute stay of execution for Jesus like there was for Isaac. No last-minute booming voice of God to rescue him. No lamb caught in the thicket to sacrifice instead of him because he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The hammer fell and the nails pierced his hands and feet and the cross was raised against The blackened sky. The stars had fallen from the sky. It was as dark as night, it says in the text, from noon to 3 p.m. It was dark. I wonder if it was three hours of absolute darkness. If you've ever been in a cave and the cave guide turns off the lights, if you've been in that, had that experience before, it's shocking how absolute darkness is where you can't see your hands just a few inches in front of your face. Maybe it was like that. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he screamed it. Even Jesus asked the why question, the third great test of life. He was forsaken, abandoned, cursed by God as he hung on the cross. Why would God do that to his own son? Why would he condemn him to a criminal's death full of excruciating pain and shame Why would he abandon him in his hour of need? Could it be that the son had to be cursed by his father for just a little while because God really meant his promise to Abraham that through one of his descendants, he would bless the entire world. He had to forsake his son in order to save us because we are lost in our sin, in our darkness. Sin is is a darkness-producing machine. We're not lost because God has forsaken us. We're lost because we have forsaken God. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. But God sent Jesus to bring us back to God. So that we might have a relationship with God. 
The price is that the son had to be temporarily abandoned by the father. The price is that the father weeps for his son while he dies on the cross. But the benefit and reward to us is the free gift of eternal life. All are blessed who believe like Abraham in God's one and only son. So today, let us thank God for sending his son, Jesus, for putting him on the cross in our place as our substitute and for raising him from the dead. For Jesus is not dead and in his tomb. His tomb is empty. He is alive. And let us trust him when he asks us to place what's dearest to us on the altar. What's your Isaac this morning? Can you give that to God today? Because someday, or there may come a day when he's going to ask you to do that. Maybe it'll be your ambition, your career, your child, your mate, your health. Give that to me. Put that on the altar. Will you be able to say in that day, I know God will provide. Now, as we close in prayer, I want to ask you, and every head bowed and eye closed, that if you're here this morning and you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you've gone to church, you've tried to be a good person, but truly put your faith and your eternal destiny alone in his hands because of what he did for you on the cross. If, if you need to and you're prepared to and ready to raise your hand and say, would you pray for me, Pastor, that I might be saved, that I might know Jesus as my personal Savior? I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Does anyone need to make that commitment by raising their hand this morning? Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks from the bottom of our heart. We, we don't understand our plight and how bad it is to be outside of you, to not have you in our heart, to not be born again, for we are eternally separated from you. But you made a way to bring us back to yourself through Jesus. So we do put our faith and trust in him, what he accomplished on the cross, and then what he did by being raised from the dead, that he's alive and lives in us and gives us strength to live the Christian life. That's our message. That's the good news that we have to share with the world. Strengthen us that we might live it and share it. In Jesus' name, amen.